0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Your branding and website are the first things your audience will see. In the ever-expanding world of ICOs and blockchain startups, you need to stand out from the pack. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that will help you amplify your brand with the perfect website, logo, collateral, or custom design project. Get big results in no time by visiting thinkonramp.com.
1: Become a certified
0: blockchain citizen today by going to
1: blockdaemon.com slash unconfirmed and easily launch your own Bitcoin node risk-free for 30 days.
0: My guest today is Dan McArdle co-founder of Masari and creator of on-chain FX, Welcome, Dan.
1: Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me.
0: Listeners of my other podcast, Unchained, will know that I've been heads down in book interviews, but I could not help but watch this crazy price movement in the so-called stable coins this week. For listeners who missed the highlights, Dan, can you tell us what happened?
1: Yeah, sure. So you know, in the wee hours of Monday morning, Basically, we saw tether break its uh, break its peg to the dollar pretty significantly. This has happened before to varying degrees, but you know it, it was a a more significant break of the peg than than we'd seen in a while. And at the same time, we saw a huge spike of uh, the Bitcoin versus US dollar price on Bitfinex. So, some pretty interesting market action.
0: So, what did that indicate? it it indicated like a loss of confidence in tether or that a lot of people were trying to sell their tethers or, or what did you think that meant?
1: Yeah. I mean, in in my opinion, it's kind of the same thing. You know, there've been rumors about tethers solvency, you know, for honestly for years now. And it kind of feels like it just came to a head where there are enough rumors and, you know, then market action started going a certain way and these things can, you know snowball in a certain market psychology event, and I think that's what we saw happen but you know there there's no you know proof for anything concrete along those lines about tether's solvency one way or another so once the uh once the the price had dropped significantly enough i think I think the low we saw was like eighty five cents and you know if you look at if you look at the chart, that's the point at which it sprung back up. so I think you had buyers coming in at that point and like okay this is this is a little too much time to buy.
0: Huh, interesting. Yeah. And just for people who don't have that full backstory, this has been in the news for about a year now but essentially tether is one of those stable coins which is supposedly backed by dollar reserves so for every single tether in circulation there's supposedly a dollar sitting in a bank but there's been concern that that's actually not the case and so if everyone were to try to withdraw all their tethers then not everyone would get or sorry withdraw their US dollars um not everyone would get one uh you know for every tether that they had so in addition to this movement with Tether, you know, falling below a dollar, we also saw that some of the other stable coins, their prices were rising above a dollar. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, that that that's really interesting. I, I, I think as, you know, concerns about Tether as, you know, a, a centralized entity that uh, maintains the peg. So as, as you noted, you know, theoretically maintains $1 in reserves for every one USDT issued as Concerns about that rise, people look for other solutions. So I think we saw some of that with uh, with other stable coins, you know, exceeding a dollar. There's just, you know, people were moving out of Tether and moving into other solutions. So you see Tether go down and you see, you know, briefly the prices of the other stable coins go up as they absorb that buy pressure.
0: So in the case of Tether, where essentially there were just a lot more people willing to sell than there were willing to buy and people were willing to sell at prices below a dollar in the case of in particular I think Gemini the Gemini US dollar was the one that jumped the highest how could the price of that rise above a dollar like I, I don't understand like you know what was it about yeah, yeah.
1: sure I I mean I, I think behind every stable coin there there's some mechanism by which you know if the price uh, goes up or down you know, Above or below a dollar, uh, someone has to come in to take the opposing market action, so, and that there are a bunch of different approaches to how that happens. And you will know, caveat: with you know, I, I'm not a stablecoin expert by any stretch, but uh, for the centralized coins, it's you know, it, it's really the entities behind the coin that are that are backing that peg. Uh, and, and you know, when these extreme market actions happen, like they can happen faster than you know an entity can. Uh, can react to you know to to you know balance out whichever direction the market's going.
0: Oh interesting meaning s- that there were more people wanting to buy than they could mit- print new Gemini USD at any given moment. Is that what was going on?
1: Uh yeah or then they can print and get into circulation would be my assumption.
0: Okay. I, I did see that you wrote about how you thought also that the the fact that these stable coins are at least uh you the tether was being unpegged from the dollar that you thought that there were reasons that that could happen for legitimate reasons so what are those
1: um well i guess i was making the distinction that uh you could you know you could explain the the issues that bitfinix is having which is you know financially related to tether um in in terms of their corporate structure as as far as i understand so, pe- you know, people have just broad concerns about, you know, the, the accounting that's happening at Bitfinex and Tether. And this is translating into concerns about, okay, well, you know, they're worried about whether Tether is fully backed. Uh, but the the banking issues that we're seeing at Bitfinex, you know, where, you know, people are, are having difficulty moving uh, fiat to and from, <laughs> I mean... I'm not sure people fully understand the difficulty of exchanges, especially with, you know, Bitfinex's product portfolio and jurisdiction and whatnot. I I don't know if people fully understand the banking issues that entities like that uh, have had in the crypto world over the years. And it's, you know, fairly expected that they would have a tough time maintaining bank accounts and, you know, these, these periods where, you know, there are issues with, you know, deposits and or withdrawals. While certainly scary, and certainly certainly could be an indicator of, of some you know underlying significant issue, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that.
0: And when you say that these kinds of exchanges have often had difficulty with their banks, for what reason?
1: Originally, it was because banks. You know, it, I mean, it's, it's still. This is still, you know, tightly related, but, you know, don't understand crypto and, and don't want to take the reputational risk. Uh, they need to, you know, be highly confident in an exchanges, you know, regulatory compliance. And, you know, that means their AML and KYC programs. Uh, and unless business is doing, you know, a significant amount of volume that that's going to move the needle for a major bank, you know, their incentive to put their name behind the relationship is is pretty limited.
0: And you also wrote about how you thought that this incident this week has echoes of what happened with Mt. Gox in what way?
1: Yeah. So the, you know, if you look at the Mt. Gox chart versus uh, other exchanges in early 2014, you know, in the month or two preceding the bankruptcy, you start to see the spreads between Mt. Gox and other exchanges widen. So uh, Bitcoin was trading significantly higher on Mt. Gox than it was on other exchanges or like right up until the end, at which point it reversed and just, you know, crashed to, to near zero. And that was because, you know, people had started to realize that Mt. Gox had legit solvency issues and were, you know, buying Bitcoin on the exchange, which, you know, raises the price of Bitcoin on Mt. Gox, but specifically to get it out of Mt. Gox, because it was, that channel was open, whereas at the time the, the fiat withdrawal channels were not. So that was the only option to get any of your funds out um and you know eventually that shut down and that's when we saw the the price completely tank right before the uh bankruptcy information so what we're seeing on phoenix you know we saw you know a couple of days ago with 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 this uh tether market action, action we saw the price of bitcoin you know significantly above the price of of other exchanges for a period of time and that you know that spread has come down significantly but you know it's still there to some extent so you know for somebody looking at the market action and and remembering, you know, this time in 2014, it's certainly familiar.
0: Oh, interesting. Now I fully understand it. So essentially people were selling their tethers and they were willing to sell at a price lower than a dollar. They were using that to then exchange it or to you know trade for bitcoins on bitfinex because they were worried that they wouldn't be able to get their money out if they try to go through the fiat route so they were taking the money out through bitcoin is that what was going on
1: yeah that that makes sense to me you know i'm not a trader right i don't have an account on bitfinex like that you know so uh, i'm not speaking from an expert opinion here but intuitively that makes sense to me yes
0: All right. Well, we have a lot more to discuss because there's other big news this week from Fidelity. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors.
1: Did you know that if you aren't connected to Bitcoin or Ethereum, you are driving the cryptocurrency highway without paying the toll? Become a blockchain citizen today by going to blockdaemon.com unconfirmed and launch your public node risk-free for 30 days on the largest ecosystems, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Stellar. Blockdaemon is the only node deployment tool that allows you to easily create private networks or join public ones within minutes. So don't delay. Spin up and manage your nodes today at blockdaemon.com unconfirmed.
0: OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that has helped numerous companies, including many in the blockchain and crypto space, maximize their brand awareness, gain traction, and accelerate growth. Whether you're a startup company launching a new brand or an established brand exploring a new campaign, OnRamp has you covered. OnRamp has a passion for boosting business results and can help with everything from logo and website design to full creative execution. Focus on your core technology and leave the rest to OnRamp. To learn more and see how they've helped passionate entrepreneurs achieve their dreams, go to thinkonramp.com. I'm speaking with Dan Mcardle of Masari and OnchainFX. So, what did you make of this news that Fidelity's getting into crypto trading?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. I, I I think the the market has been you know yearning for a you know brand name traditional market uh, custodial service for a long time now and. Yeah, I think people have expected a name player like Fidelity to make an announcement along these lines for for at least a year now. So it's good to see this happening. And, you know, I'm glad it's Fidelity. I know, you know, Matt Walsh and Nick Carter were were at Fidelity before starting Castle Island Ventures. You know, they have a a lot of great things to say about their their colleagues. And uh, I think it's great to have them involved in the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I did that listener questions episode earlier this week on Unchained and someone asked me what the next bull run would look like. And I was talking about how after I did an episode with Barry Silbert, we were chatting and he said something where he he kind of implied he thought the market would would go up again um, next year. And I, I, I don't remember how he phrased it, but I... I didn't understand that he literally only meant the prices. And I said something like, oh, you know, I feel like all this technology needs to, it, it needs a little bit more time before we're going to see it really advance. And um, he said, oh, no, I, I'm literally just talking about Wall Street money coming in. So um, <laughs> with <laughs> the news about backed and Fidelity now, and um, here we've got Goldman Sachs investing in BitGo. I you know, I do think that it does look like Wall Street is getting ready to come in in a bigger way. So 2019 could be interesting um, for those of you who found the end of 2017 entertaining.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, certainly. It certainly sets the stage for, uh, you know, to absorb flows should, should there be a demand spike.
0: Yeah. So speaking about kind of like interest and demand in Bitcoin, I know that you also have been having some interesting thoughts around how Bitcoin could behave in a recession. What are your, what's your thesis there?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, basically I think it's more nuanced than you know, a lot of people tend to assert. You know, I, I think there's this general opinion that, you know, because Bitcoin is you know, fundamentally disconnected from the rest of the financial system uh, that, you know, somehow that necessarily means that it would you know outperform uh, in a recession. But I think it really depends on what kind of recession, uh, you know, the exact triggers and you know exactly where in the cycle uh, we are, is going to determine how Bitcoin performs. So, you know, for example, uh, a typical you know you know light to moderate recession is characterized by you know, basically people calling debts due. There you know there's a flight to cash. It's hard to get loans, but people have fiat denominated debts, so you know people are are looking to move to dollars. And I think you know, Bitcoin would be sold uh, for dollars, uh, you know, in order to kind of satisfy that that flow that typically happens in a recession. You know, where where Bitcoin as an uncorrelated asset that could outperform in a recession comes into play is you know if the recession bleeds over into a sovereign debt or a currency crisis, so where people start to like actually get you know worried about you know central bank's ability to maintain the currency or, you know, just like, you know, sovereign debt levels themselves. And we we saw this exact behavior with gold in, you know, 2009 through 2011. Like, you know, as as the recession hit and there was the initial liquidity crisis, gold tanked in 2009. But then as, you know, concerns in the Eurozone um, about the, you know, ability to hold the the Euro together, you know, as, as those concerns really started to ramp up in 2010 and 2011, you know, that led to all time highs in gold. So, you know, if I had to bet, I, I would expect that, you know, Bitcoin would perform similarly.
0: Oh, interesting. So but you kind of have this thesis also that it's like, not a hedge against a typical recession.
1: That's right. Um, so if we just get a, you know, a light to moderate recession that doesn't bleed over into a currency crisis, uh, then, you know, I I, I think, Bitcoin would be sold down like any other risk asset, and you know as the recession recovers, you know Bitcoin probably recovers, and you know it would behave you know pretty similarly to the stock market. but where I think it you know dissociates is if the recession gets either either gets bad enough to turn into a currency crisis as governments you know move back to q e and you know so forth and so on, or recession itself is triggered by like a sovereign debt crisis
0: oh interesting. So your your thesis is a little bit against the traditional grain because I think a lot of people are like, oh, when an economy is tinking, then everyone's going to flood in a Bitcoin.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I think I think that's a pretty overly simplistic narrative, and I, I do want to caution people against that, because I, you know, I, I think. <laughs> we should i think we should expect bitcoin to initially you know perform like any other risk asset in a typical recession and that doesn't mean that its fundamental value prop as uh you know a hedge against the traditional financial system like that that doesn't mean that 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 value prop is broken it 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 just means that you know it's these like you know moderate liquidity crisis situations are are are, are just not the situation where bitcoin's going to thrive
0: yeah and i also Answered basically the same question this week on Unchained. I didn't have as nuanced to take as you. Mine was more just about how I still feel like it's so early that you know, if there was some kind of recession, you know, like in a month or something, that the space is just so new and people there there aren't good ways to hold on to this stuff, and you know, it's not very um, usable. It's still so easy to lose your private keys that I don't think you know, this would be something that a lot of people would run to. So I think there's also these like basic usability issues that need to be resolved before we're going to see kind of bigger uptake, uh, you know, whether or not that's something that's sparked by an economic crisis or not.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I tend to agree that, you know, it would, (laughs) it would be nice if Bitcoin has a few more years to mature uh, before, you know, we do get into this kind of, you know, test of, of the, the, you know, Fundamental thesis that it could absorb flows in a in a currency crisis scenario. Like I agree that you know we need better wallet solutions, better multi sig, more distribute more distribution of hardware wallets. You know, just the populace being more generally educated about how to safely handle private keys. You know, more lightning deployment, so you know we can uh, you know actually keep day to day fees down when when using this stuff. So a couple more years of of development would be nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. I also think that at this early stage, when we can't even get stable coins to be stable, that there's certain like trust issues that need to be resolved about crypto overall. Because as we've seen this week, you know, these things that are supposed to behave a certain way, if if the makers of them cannot, (laughs) cannot make that happen, then um, I think people will we'll be looking to see a little bit more confidence in in the way the crypto markets act under times of stress. So um, anyway, well, it's been really interesting having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unchained, or Unconfirmed.
1: (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, help from Raylene Gallipali, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.